0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast that dives headfirst into the proverbial deep end of our favorite spacefaring franchise on the road to season two of its latest entry, Star Trek Discovery. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined by members of our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow.
1: Hi. <laughs> you,
0: you okay there?
1: You keep talking to me while I'm yawning. Why are you yawning? I can't stop. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Cicero Holmes. Hello. Hello, sir. Hello. Oh man. Well, uh it's actually been oh, Or should oh, I have yawned? I mean, <laughs> hey, that seems to be the trend. So hashtag It's just me. Hashtag <laughs> I'm Rachel. Tired.
2: Oh.
0: <laughs> Well, it's good to talk to you guys. It's actually been a while since we all got together to record. Yeah. Unfortunately, Zacky couldn't join us this week. So uh, we thought that we would take a break from the Debrief's Favorite Episode series just to talk solely about the abundance of franchise news that came out of San Diego Comic-Con, news from the very beginning of Star Trek Las Vegas, which is happening right now, and of course, the actual footage we got to see from Season 2. But first... As always, how have you guys been doing and engaging with Star Trek since we last got together? Cicero,
2: kick us off. Uh, so I finished the uh, latest book. Actually, man, I, it's, it seems like it was so long ago that I have to read it again. It was really good. Drastic Measures. Yes. Um, a really, really great book. Um, it definitely... Oh man, it was. It would be really interesting to sit and speak with the author about uh, Saru as a character um, and how he was portrayed during the course of that book. Um, oh, you you I, mean you mean you mean fear itself, of course. Oh yeah, fear itself, yeah, fear not itself. not drastic measures. Sorry, fear yeah, okay. itself. Yes, yeah. fear itself. Um. So yeah, it's been so long, so I for- I forgot the title. Um, yeah, but, uh, it would, it's really going to be, it'd be great to sit down and, and, uh, speak with the author to talk about, uh, Saru as a character. Um, I was, I was kind of lukewarm about the, the book. Um, but as I finished it, man, it got, it, it really ratcheted it up and, uh, I, I love the, the story that it told. Um, so yeah, that was awesome great
0: great well if if you're interested in talking to mr james swallow i might be able to make that happen i'm working on it Ah, uh
2: i like the cut of your jib, chris
0: (laughs) well i mean obviously we've got a bunch of stuff to do between now and when we actually do get around to reviewing the book itself but uh it, it is coming up uh all three of us have read the book i don't think Zachy was able to to read this one but um we are planning on getting together to talk strictly about the book, the implications on the canon, the uh, what it means for Saru himself. And that should be a conversation that all of us uh, should have a lot of fun with, I would think. Yeah. Uh, so glad to hear that you finished that. You. Rachel, in the last month, what do you think you've been up to with Star Trek?
1: Um, I I don't think I've I've had a very Star Trek-less month. You it's have? It's very sad. Why? I don't know. I mean, I've been watching Doctor Quinn and like ninety percent of the people on that show have been in Star Trek also so it is, I mean, true.
0: That is true. Yeah, that nineties TV crossover, I guess. Yeah. You know. But it's a pretty good show. I've been watching episodes of it with you, but you know, it's it is what it is. But uh well as for as for me, uh it's mostly just been well I've been I had to catch up. Uh, with getting episodes of this show out to you guys. You know, we actually just, at, at, on the day we're recording this, we just released episodes 25 and 25.1. So hopefully you guys have listened to that and enjoyed them both. Uh, especially, I mean, it, it was great getting to talk about Tapestry. It's a great episode. And uh, I've, I found an opportunity to uh, bring out a discussion that I'd had with a podcasting friend of mine for 25.1 so hopefully you guys dug that as well. Other than that, um, I've been looking at getting back into Star Trek online. Mm. I'm just not quite sure where to do it uh, because I've played it on PC. I've dabbled with it on Xbox and I have it installed on my PS4. And I'm just kind of thinking, OK, well, if I want to jump back in, where do I do it? Because the um, the Deep Space Nine expansion, Victory is Life, just came out for consoles And my consoles can run it far better than my laptop can. (laughs) So that's probably one of those consoles is probably where I'm going to jump back into it. And we'll actually talk about something having to do with Star Trek Online here in a little bit. But uh, other than that, it's mostly just been going nuts over the last month over all the stuff that we've learned concerning Season 2 of Discovery. The wait just became very painful because we're about give or take like right about five months away from the from the premiere of season two a lot of stuff can happen in five months of course but uh we do have a fair amount of news items to get to before we actually dive into uh what we've seen from the forthcoming season of discovery so let's do a little bit of a news roundup (laughs) So let's actually tackle the most recent piece of news first. On the day that we're recording this, August 1st, the official Star Trek convention in Las Vegas has begun. Not sure if any attendees are listening to Discovery Debrief, but if you are, let us know, because hopefully we can at least be there in spirit. Uh, But anyways, one of the nice surprises to arise from the early days of the con was the fact that we have three new Star Trek novels to look forward to in 2019. One's going to be based on TOS, written by Greg Cox, one is going to be based on the next generation, written by friend of the show and former guest, Dayton Ward, and a brand new discovery novel written by author Una McCormick, uh, is going to be focusing on the story of none other than Sylvia Tilley. It's due out in January, which sounds pretty exciting. And you know, we shared in our chat a little bit earlier today uh, some some of the preliminary information about the book and what it's going to entail when it comes to, Telling us Tilly's story, Rachel, what do you think of that?
1: Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I want to hear the origin story of her allergies <laughs>
0: that
1: caused her to have to be by herself. Yeah, um, yeah,
0: yeah. Looks- I think
1: they've done a pretty good job so far with the discovery tie-in novels. So I have a lot of faith in the whoever's sort of picking people mm-hmm. to write them. They're doing a good job.
0: Yeah, you, you've it seems like you've enjoyed all three of them quite a bit. Yeah, yeah would you call them highlights of the last year of reading?
1: I don't know. I read a lot of good books, Chris. It's true. That's why I'm asking. (laughs) I will have to get back to you.
0: Okay. Fair enough. Wow. (laughs) I mean, good books, maybe not highlights. That tells you the caliber of stuff that she...
1: In general, I like all of the books I read a lot better than almost any of the media I consume because it takes so much effort to read a book that if it's not good, you don't finish it that's true you right. don't
0: continue it right right that's, so no, that's a that's a good approach Cicero the fourth discovery tie-in novel uh it seems like just yesterday when we started
2: reading these what do you think of
0: how uh this one sounds on concept
2: so I am I am most curious about this one this is the one that I'm most nervous for really um, and I think it's the most difficult to uh get get right at least in my head and the reason is is because when we meet Tilly on the discovery she's she's a cadet she's a newbie there is mm-hmm. so little in terms of time before we've before we knew her to explore that like how can you make a book you know how can you fill 300 pages with with something that's that's interesting to say about this, about this character.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the things that probably dictated that a book about her come out is just how popular she became in that first season. Well, then, then it's just uh, serendipity, yeah. I guess, uh, because they had to have known when they were conceiving of cadet Tilly, now ensign Tilly, that she was going to be one of the more, uh, I guess, identifiable characters that we would encounter. And uh, the, the, the performer that they got absolutely helped to embody that. But either way, I mean, that all that, notwithstanding, she was still one of my favorite characters on the first season because of the humor that she brought to it. And the, and the point of identification of actually putting someone with foibles and flaws into this, insane situation and if we can see the origins of the way that she attacks a problem and maybe the beginnings of her aspirations for command i'll be very interested to see it in this book Mm -hmm. but uh next as i alluded to before discovery is coming to star trek online tilly will be appearing in a new expansion called age of discovery and she will be voiced by mary wiseman uh, okay. According to Trek movie, yeah, 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 yeah. According to Trek movie, players will be able to create a Federation captain from the Discovery time frame and quote join forces with Starfleet Academy cadet Sylvia Tilly, voiced by Mary Wiseman. Age of Discovery's first installment will also introduce a new Discovery era tutorial, two episodes, new reputation tiers, a new queue now referred to as a task force operation, which is sort of like a—I don't know if it's quite like a raid, but it's it's a it's probably a PvE uh, task that you have to take on with other human players and several other new features. And the story element will also be taking place during season one of the show, right after the battle at the Binary Stars. So conceivably, it takes place well before Michael finds herself aboard the Starship Discovery. So Cicero, as the the senior gamer here, (laughs) and someone who has infinitely more credibility in the world of gaming than I do, uh, do you have any interest in jumping into this game, or did you before? Does discovery maybe make it more enticing by sweetening the pot a little
2: bit? Uh, so yes, I've jumped into Sto a little bit. Um, it is definitely a fun game, especially for you know for Star Trek fans, and and uh, I, I've been really impressed with the tale that it's that it's had over the, over the course of the years, and and they've uh, allowed themselves to lean into the franchises a lot more. Um, Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see what, uh, how discovery is embraced by the STO RPG audience, because Mm -hmm. I, you know, I wonder, it's been interesting. It's been really an interesting year. Um, you know, coming back, coming off the hills now, now that we're, Half removed we're at the halfway point between when we last saw discovery and when we'll next see discovery and mm-hmm. i've I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of Star trek you know true trekkers um sure. and and it's and the the conversations surrounding discovery have been very, very mixed. The Venn diagram of discovery fans that are also star Trek fans is not quite as large as you would think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is mostly still a circle, but, but th- there are, there are definitely people on the outside that, that wholly reject as we, you know, as we talked about it while it was still in the zeitgeist that kind of wholly yeah. reject, uh, the show, um, you know, just based off of, uh, how, how it interprets, um, pre TOS, uh, federation. Um, and, and just, it'll be, it'll be really something to see, to see, uh, discovery crew crew members and discovery, uh, accoutrement amongst the TOS stuff along with the TNG stuff, because it will still look the newest, even if it's the most antiquated.
0: Yeah, that's true. Especially even compared with uh, like the Kelvin stuff. Right. Discovery still seems like it has a newer, sleeker kind of aesthetic to it. Uh, It's funny that you bring that up too, because um, I was actually recently a guest on another Star Trek podcast. It it was a TOS podcast called Standard Orbit on the uh, Trek FM network. Nice. And the the host, uh, Zach Moore, invited me on because we both have an affinity for both Star Trek and for Batman. And uh, we talked about the crossover talent between uh, Star Trek, the original series and Batman, the animated series, arguably one of the absolutely best representations of Batman and anything ever. Right. And uh, we did talk a little bit about discovery before our discussion began in earnest. And he seemed like he was sort of in a similar boat. Like he had trouble accepting some of the, uh, the, the changes that discovery seemed to make to the Canon. Uh, unlike, a lot of other Star Trek fans I know that have dismissed Discovery. He actually did watch the whole season. <laughs> and, uh, and the thing that just kind of jumps back at me, because I've told you guys before, I've said ad nauseum on this show, TOS is my favorite of the shows. You know, it's not the best one, but it's my favorite one. Uh, it established the spirit of what Star Trek is. And I may have been a little bit nervous about Discovery in the beginning, but that nervousness completely vanished by the end. By the end, it very much established itself as, at least to me, as a legitimate entry in the Star Trek canon. And I think it's sort of, now that there's some distance between it, and I don't know what you guys think about this, but it seems like that's sort of represented or or made definitive by the speech that uh, Saru gave while they were still in the Mirror Universe. Because we would heard over the course of the whole season, you know, that he senses the coming of death. And then they turned that into an inspirational speech. Right. And it right. felt perfectly in line with Star Trek to me. But uh, yeah, you make a good point, though, about how, you know, Star Trek Online as a game, it represents every aspect of the canon that we've seen in, at some degree or another. And Discovery taking its place alongside everything else further legitimizes it, at least in my estimation. But We'll have to see how it takes, I suppose, with people. You gotta make that Latinum, Chris. Well yeah, (laughs) that's true. It's a free to play game though. But Yeah, yeah, okay.
1: (laughs) That's how they get you every time. Free to
0: play. Fair enough. Free to download. Hey, to be fair though, I played it when it when you needed to pay a subscription fee. Oh good. (laughs) Oh right. There you go. (laughs) So this was this was before we even moved to illinois don't worry about it anyway (laughs) welcome to rachel and chris (laughs) we've got to air our marital dirty laundry for the debrief listeners to hear because i'm sure that's what they love about this show but anyway um so we got a ton of news concerning discovery season two and since it's been about a month since we all convened and talked about the franchise you know, the quote unquote latest episode of our show is, was pretty outdated by the time it was released. So let's run through some of the bigger things that we got out of San Diego f- that came from the Hall H presentation, from the press conference that also took place outside of Hall H, and through some interviews that cast members conducted with uh, Trek Movie and Trek Core. So first up, Anthony Rapp told Trek Movie that season two will feature quieter moments than the first allowing us to focus a little more on the characters in between the bigger moments sounds pretty good mary wiseman also told the same site that tilly will have more of a fully fledged position on discovery's bridge which we kind of saw in the finale and uh especially now that she's a fully commissioned ensign and her bond with stamets will be further solidified as they continue to work closely together into the second season Other things that we'll be seeing in Season 2 include Saru's history, his family, and the Kelpian homeworld. More solid connections to canon, especially concerning Michael's relationship with Spock. Laurel struggling against Klingon patriarchy and her new claimed position of leadership as Chancellor of the Empire. Tilly struggling with her command aspirations, because I think Mary Wiseman said in one of those interviews that she's human and makes mistakes which kind of bungles some of the things that she wants to get done as a member now of the bridge crew of discovery and uh captain pike has been confirmed to appear in all 13 episodes of the season so we oh. will not be pikeless at all in season 2 which sounds awesome and alex kurtzman was also asked about prime lorca to which he replied with an emphatic uh I think that's a direct quote. <laughs> that means yes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Means- Hashtag maybe Cicero's right. Yeah. I don't know. We'll have to. See. I'm I'm gonna be crossing my fingers. That's for sure. Crossing your fingers and
2: also, for Prime Lorca, huh?
0: Oh, totally. Yeah. I, I mean, I I really haven't uncrossed them since we saw him die in the mirror universe. Sure. So you know. And uh, also, much to Zaki's joy, I'm sure, the, uh, the writers and the cast members confirmed the, that the show will not be returning to the Mirror Universe. Uh, and also, uh, Anthony Rapp said there will be some fun stuff with red shirts this year. Oh, nice. Star Trek fun and red shirts. Those are not phrases that usually go together in any meaningful capacity. But uh, just off the top of your guys' heads... What about that rundown, uh, gets you excited?
2: Cicero? Well, I mean, is, is just more information about the show. Um, as you were talking about that stuff, it made me realize that I do miss the show. Uh, and Mm. I'm super, super excited for, uh, what's going to happen next. And, and, um, 13, 13, episodes of Pike look pretty good. Um, I I wonder about what they're going to do uh how they're going to make uh this whole Pike thing work um the you know they already talked about it or at least alluded to it during the trailer um yes but Anton Mount looked great as as Captain Pike he really you know he really uh looked the part so uh I mean Man, I'm I'm super interested into it, and 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 the other thing is, uh, Anthony raps talking about quieter moments. I, I you know I really would love to see that uh, because uh, not only has was season one full of great stories that took you in different places and and really uh, ignited some really fun discussions, but uh, one th- one underlying tone that we that we you know that remained consistent with the performances of the actors yes um, absolutely you know they were they were fully engaged and if they're given more stuff to do uh and they, you know and and they're uh relying less on the special effects and relying on, you know so much on the fact that they're in space <laughs> um that will be interesting because they've got people with the chops to make things work. So um I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to that too.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Rachel, any of that stuff tickle your fancy?
1: Yeah, a lot of it does. I think like all of this stuff kind of combined with the uh the trailers really giving me like a vibe for oh, the okay. season. Do tell. And the vibe is like a little lighter. Mm-hmm. Um a little less like L- Lorca E. <laughs> um uh, you know a little bit more uh deeper into the side characters less focused on uh, since we you know we know our main characters now.
0: Less Zack um, Snyder more uh Richard Donner maybe.
1: <laughs> maybe uh, I guess <laughs> that's that's to, how you would put to turn it. turn
0: a phrase from uh, DC yeah. <laughs>
1: Um so I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I don't know. Usually Star Trek series just get better over time it's true. from their first seasons. So um, I'm I am optimistic that this is gonna happen for this show too.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, same here. Uh I'm particularly interested in what they're gonna do with Saru. I'm really looking forward to seeing the Kelpian homeworld, especially considering what we know about kelpians themselves and what the makeup of the society is. I think that would be kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh and of course, I'm always going to be interested in the political intrigue that surrounds the Klingon Empire, uh, especially considering that previous uh, aspects of 23rd century Star Trek seem to indicate that uh, women were not allowed to serve as the chancellors of the empire or in the hierarchy of the of, of the command of the empire. Uh, maybe Lorel is the reason for that. I don't know, hmm. but it sounds like it might be. Pretty interesting in that she's got some some forces to struggle against, uh, which sounds fascinating to me, especially now that we know that uh Tyler is along with her, right? And what could that mean for him, you know, especially having returned to the Empire but not looking anything like a Klingon? Uh that should be pretty fascinating too. Uh something else that I thought was pretty fascinating, uh, concerns the characterization of Captain Christopher Pike as played by Anson Mount. Apparently, he will not be the beaten and exhausted man that we saw in The Cage, the original TOS pilot that takes place about three years before Discovery and the Enterprise Rendezvous. Uh, There's a quote from Anson Mount here that I really, really uh, gravitated toward, and he said, quote, what I love about Pike, and I think this is kind of comes from what I took from Jeffrey Hunter's performance, and to some degree, the Pike that we did in the movies, is that he's a man who's very kind, who has tremendous authority, and yet can still apologize when he's wrong. And so in many ways, he's the opposite of Lorca. That, to me, kind of encapsulates exactly what you just said, Rachel, is that we, ha- we had the Lorca season where the crew was petrified of their commander. The Pike season seems like it's going to be very, very different. I mean, even, and we'll talk about it when we get more into the trailer, but the dynamic of the bridge crew seems entirely refreshed. I mean, we started to see that drift that way. And Cicero, I think you even pointed it out when we were actually watching the episodes of the first season while Saru was in command of Discovery. But uh, without that dictatorial presence and a welcoming of collaboration, it sounds like Captain Pike is going to take that further.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, um, I don't know if we're we're breaching into the trailer stuff yet, but I I do think that. Uh, You know, as a spoiler alert for the trailer that you've already seen and that we're about to talk about in 10 minutes. Um, But Pike says that he is taking command of of the Discovery. Now we know for the entire season or at least that he'll be involved during the entire season. And at at points in the trailer, we actually see him in Discovery uniform. Um, I think that. While he is back on his own ship, we will see more of Captain Saru and, you know, or in air quotes, Captain Saru. And that and hopefully, hopefully by the end of the season, uh, the Federation says, all right, enough's enough. We're not going to go to Kling. Oh, you know, we're not going to go to Vulcan and pick up your next captain. Your next captain has been with you all along it's been inside of you saru <laughs> all along um so yeah so hopefully we'll get to see captain saru um because he definitely deserves at least based on last season he deserves to sit in that chair
0: is some of your conclusion in that respect derived at all from the book do you think uh
2: no i mean it was it was a it was a conclusion that I had come to well before I I knew the book was even going to exist. And in fact, fear itself, um, makes me question some of everything that I knew about Saru. Um, I think it, it almost acts in conflict with, uh, the growth of Saru as a character over the course of discovery versus the growth of 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 Saru as as a character during Fear itself um you mm-hmm. know instead of it you know and not to really go into a bunch of book reviews but instead of it being like if it was a graph uh and and we're graphing Saru's confidence instead of it being a natural slope up from fear itself to through season one of discovery I think it's it would be more of a like roller coaster like a hill so it it mm-hmm. you know it went up and then I think it it plummeted again before it took its meteoric rise it plummeted again at the beginning of discovery and before it took its meteoric rise at at the mm-hmm. end of it and I'd like to see it continue uh during during season two of discovery to the point where at the end of this graph in my head that I'm visualizing is Saru sitting in the captain's chair.
0: Excellent. Well, we'll have to put a pin in that and see what things are like on the other side of season two. One thing I want to ask both of you, though, uh, Captain Pike, as we know all too well, in even in through episodes of Discovery, is one of the most legendary captains in the history of the Federation Starfleet. Uh, do you think that having that sort of prototypical decorated uh starfleet com- starfleet captain takes anything away from the uniqueness of the concept of discovery because it seems like one of the things that defined the first season was this uh rather darker perspective coming from captain lorca uh and how it sort of showed a far different shade uh in the command structure of a starship than we've seen before Does- are you more relieved at the fact that Captain Pike is going to be taking command of the ship or uh are you worried that maybe it's going to lose something that made the show so easy to connect with in the first season? Rachel?
1: Yeah, I'm not worried about losing anything. <laughs> like <laughs> I Captain Pike is, you know, referred to as legendary or whatever, but you really haven't seen him that much. Right. <laughs> That's true. Like um and, and what I really like about what I've seen is that like Anson Mount looks like halfway between Jeffrey Hunter and uh, the guy who played him
0: in Bruce Greenwood. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So he's like really got like both of their kind of aesthetics in one person, which I really, you know, didn't, didn't get just by seeing, you know, like a headshot of him. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so I think that's really cool. Um, And I, I don't think that what makes any Star Trek unique is, you know, it's it's captain. It's everybody. Right. Sure. So um, and like Lorca took up so much of the first season, just his sort of arc if you can call it that I don't think he really went on a character arc but <laughs> no, um, no, not in the traditional sense
2: no you, we as fans went on a character arc for him yeah
1: yeah, yeah our arc of, of him um, that I think I think that having maybe a captain that is not so much of a black hole of speculation and weirdness um, <laughs> lets everybody shine better Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll make it more of an ensemble piece,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that it'll be much better,
0: okay Cicero, you have any thoughts on that?
2: yeah, I so saw i i first off hashtag rachel is right um but uh the the second part of that is I think that star trek is uh discovery has had an identity problem and and you know, and I kind of alluded to it before uh when we were talking about star trek online and and that and this and this um point where it feels like the show has not been embraced or is is having the most difficulty br- breaking through the the hard resolve of the most ardent star trek fans mm-hmm. um and i think adding captain pike to discovery as this swashbuckling you know kind of uh precursor to To TOS Kirk really, really does a or or has a great has a great opportunity to bridge that gap and be the ambassador to the old Trek fans um, by bringing them in with something that is familiar to them. And uh, Discovery has a great opportunity, like Rachel said, to do fun things with Pike because we don't know him. On on screen, uh, in in any prolonged way, we've got one episode of TOS, we've got one one old episode of TAS, and then we've got fifteen minutes of him in, in a, a Kelvin film, and that's pretty much it. But if you talk to Star Trek fans, uh, you know uh, Captain Pike is one of their guys. Yeah. And and so bringing one of their guys onto the show that isn't really theirs is a way to bring those people in and they can do whatever the hell they want to do with him. And as as long as he feels like Pike, then this is what Pike did and that that, you know, allows you to subconsciously get into the mind of the of the "quote unquote" true Star Trek fan.
0: Well, and by that same token, too, I think that all of us, to varying degrees, have faith in them not like turning around and turning Pike into a a meth addict or something, right? Right. Well, well, specifically, I I I I think
2: it. I think it was a conscious effort on their part um, to not make their Pike the Pike that was still suffering from uh, the the. the the results of the you know the aftermath of the cage mm-hmm. um so you know so we've got a little more a, a a more bubbly a more cavalier a more Kirkian version of a captain uh for for this portrayal of this character who if you know if logic serves and if they decided to go in a darker tone would have also made sense but it wouldn't have Done the thing that I think that I've been talking about and and, and Rachel has talked about that that the tone seems lighter. It seems a little bit brighter. Um right. and you know, even the color palettes that they've been using, at least in the trailers, uh mm-hmm. seem a little bit brighter. Uh so you know, they they really have an opportunity here, I think, to get those fans in and keep them because the show is fantastic.
0: Definitely. You have something to add?
1: I don't think that quote-unquote true Star Trek fans are going to like Pike no matter what. They're going to be like, this isn't my Pike. <laughs> <laughs> the that I've been building in my mind for right. the last 20
0: well, years. To, to the credit of Star Trek fandom, uh, and as we talked about before when we had that Twitter right. explosion, you know, <laughs> uh, Star Trek fandom in some segments is very uh let's say vociferous in their opposition to discovery but it doesn't get nasty it never gets to last Jedi levels. Right. You know? No, no it didn't. It, it doesn't get anywhere near that. And I think that there are a fair amount of Star Trek fans who maybe weren't sold on the first season of Discovery, but wanted to be. And Pike might be the end for them. Maybe. Right. We'll see. I mean we got to see red, blue, and gold shirts. Yes. That, that had to excite some people. It probably excited me way more than it should have, but nevertheless. I,
2: okay. I really are we are we allowed to talk about that stuff right now? Yeah, sure. Okay. Oh, oh, all right. Cool. Oh, wait, what, you'll wait you'll what, what
1: is, I just wanted to apologize to the true Star Trek fans <laughs> for what I just said. Because I just sometimes I lump all men on the internet into one and i know you're not star wars fans yeah
2: the
0: the, wor- the worst among star
2: wars right <laughs> yes <laughs> um but uh, yeah so if we're al- if we're allowed to talk about the the uniforms the red gold and green shirts uh th- what a really smart much like much like their version of the Enterprise, I really thought that the choices that they made with the uniform, with the shirts, um were, were understated and smart, um, but and make make a lot of sense and mm-hmm. just really make that stuff pop. So if you if you looked at the at the uh command tunics, uh so at least Pike's gold shirt. He had it seemed like it was leather and around the shoulders were these it was they weren't shoulder blades, but they were like these ridges. It sh- looked
0: like a just like a recolored version of the standard uniform that we've seen.
2: Yes. Yeah. But the but the ridges themselves were wider. Oh, were they? Yeah. Or or so the indents were the same size, but the space in between them was wider. Okay. Um, So, you know, so it but like the design choice was very understated, in my opinion. Obviously, they changed some things. But again, if a person today in in 2018 was wearing clothes that were designed to be futuristic from, you know, 1968, Mm -hmm. then then, you know, from literally 50 years ago. I would look at those clothes and say they look old. Sure. Um and if I'm watching a show today, I don't want my clothes, I don't want my outfits, I don't want my sets to look old. Yeah. I don't want somebody saying that about my sets, especially when my show is set in the future. Sure. Yeah. I completely agree.
0: I mean it has to it has to evolve and I mean that was one of the things that well, I know that Zacky and I talked about it a little bit was the idea of uh, well, the, the aesthetic has to evolve. You can, they can't use a 50 year old aesthetic. And Zacky came back with a, a very valid perspective that says, well, if you treat it like a, like a period piece uh, in, of a fictional period, but still a period piece nonetheless, then the deviations kind of screw with your mind a little bit. But you know, we'll, we'll have to see because there, there, there's going to be more connective tissue with TOS in season two maybe some of that will spill over into the aesthetics we, we, we just don't know right now
1: right the 60s clothes were like felt and wool with like right. rickrack on them right. like yes you that's true can't have that now. <laughs> <laughs> they look great
0: yeah yeah I'm, i agree the only if i'm if we're doing uniform nitpicking which star Trek fans are want to do the only aspect of it that i'm not crazy about is the collar but it's forgivable like it's mm-hmm. not something that I'm just like stew. Like, oh, color, <laughs> it looks so awkward. But you know, it's it just is what it is. I can I can roll with one slight thing that may not set my world on fire. Just fine.
1: As a noted indifferent to all, yes, to costumes. costumes. <laughs> I thought
0: they were great. Well, very good. I Didn't even notice the. Color. No, I I think they're great too because it's a good idea to meld what we have seen with the show with what we know was one of the most visually identifiable aspects of the original series. And because of that philosophy, I think it's a great idea. Mm -hmm. But uh, there is another big item before we get to some smaller ones. And then we'll talk about the trailer. Rebecca Romaine has been cast as number one, the executive officer of the Enterprise under Captain Pike as seen in the cage. Last seen in the cage actually as played by the first lady of Star Trek, Majel Barrett Roddenberry, Mm. exactly how she'll play into the season since we know where Pike will be for most of the season has yet to be hinted at. Kurtzman said that they'll definitely be developing her further considering her relatively negligible screen time in the cage, which makes sense. And I saw another interview where Rebecca Romaine said that she and Captain Pike actually do have a rather direct conversation about Spock specifically. So it's pretty safe to say that we're going to be seeing more of number one maybe more of number one than we've ever seen before in the franchise which as someone who has been fascinated with that character for my entire life i'm very excited for rachel what do you think justice for
1: number one (laughs) finally uh yeah i don't really know very much about rebecca rebecca romaine beyond her you know being blue for the X-Men
0: movies. <laughs> Play so it'll be
1: interesting to see what she looks like not in an inch of makeup.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh and yeah, this, this is cool. Yeah. I'm excited. And we're gonna see more Enterprise stuff. This is, you know, there's gonna Clearly. be Enterprise crew. That's yeah. awesome.
0: Yeah, Zachy and I were only half right because he and I were both rooting for maybe her becoming the new captain of Discovery. But mm-hmm. even if we can't maybe get that the fact that she's definitely going to show up in season two is really, really exciting. I hope they don't kill her. I don't think they're going to do that. All right. I hope I'm not saying hashtag Rachel was right again on that. <laughs> but uh, we'll have to see. I mean, the fact that we're just going to be getting her at all is, is really cool. Cicero, what do you think?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I I like her as an actor. Um, I like her as an ex-wife of John Stamos. <laughs> um, I don't know why. Um but but yeah, like again, as I you know, as I talked about before with Pike, it's again, these are these are these this is that connective tissue between uh TOS and and discovery that that we want to see and 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 it, they have the breath to explore. Uh and you know, and and they have a chance now to really build on canon because here are characters even more so than you know than than harry mudd who had been around a a few times in uh on on uh tos and then and then in the animated series but like here are characters that are actually part of the federation part of the bridge crew part of the ship that made you fall in love with this series Mm -hmm. uh that you just really didn't know much about even though you felt like you did and now you'll get to see them and this will become canon. Yes. And and that is like the fact that as as uh you know is what Zacky kind of says about enterprise anytime you can uh you know mush that into the canon and make it more part of the canon he's down for it and I'm I'm down for the same type of thing to happen for discovery. So uh, it'll be awesome. It would, you know, depending on the the portrayal of uh, of number one by Rebecca uh, Remain, uh it would be interesting to see her become the captain of Discovery. But then what do you call her? Captain one?
0: Yeah, they haven't. We'll have to see if the show actually does give her a name, because obviously the books have given her a name over the past several decades. Uh, so we'll have to see if they actually do canonize the name sulu for just for the record too is something kind of similar we always knew he was sulu but his first name wasn't established in canon mm-hmm. until 1991 right. when he appeared in star trek 6 and he said hikaru sulu commanding yeah. on the on the excelsior so and, and actually uh uhura's first name wasn't canonized either until the 2009 film wow uh as Neota. So there's a history of this kind of happening with the franchise. So if Discovery did decide to actually give number one a real name, then it's well within the parameters of history in the franchise, at least when it comes to TOS characters. But uh, yeah, very well said. I'm I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing more of her. And who knows, maybe it'll lead to something bigger. But uh, other Trek tidbits that are not Discovery related specifically that came out of San Diego that I want to touch on real quick... Michelle uh, Nichols was honored there with a Comic-Con Lifetime Achievement Award. Nice. Which is great. Michelle Nichols is obviously one of the most legendary performers in, uh, in Star Trek history and is very well deserved. Uh, Simon Pegg also said that uh, the Kelvin Star Trek 4 film is actually deep in development with Director SJ. Clarkson and could start shooting as soon as January. I have a hard time believing that, uh, but I guess you know, since they have given a director a job, maybe that's actually going to come to pass I'm not gonna really believe it until maybe Paramount releases a a, a, a press release that says Star Trek 4 has begun
2: shooting but uh, we will see that's six months from now if they've got everything in place all they got to do is they don't even really have to cast it they've got their cast they just yeah they just need to you know find the villain you know cast the villain and and you know you're you're supporting you supporting cast. Yeah, we'll have to see what
0: they do, because I know that uh, Star Trek Beyond actually differed quite a bit on the production side compared to the first two movies, because Beyond actually moved production to Vancouver. So I know that they had to ship the Enterprise sets up there for, you know, all of the 30 minutes that the movie actually took advantage of them. But uh, no, I mean, um, well, I guess technically speaking, they don't really need to ship any other sets unless they're going to be retrofitting because the enterprise is a totally different ship for the fourth film right if the end of star trek beyond is any indication so hopefully that will actually happen i'm obviously very very much anticipating a new outing of the the calvin crew love that entire cast as i think we all do uh but simon pegg also said that he fears that quentin tarantino's star trek film is at least six years away which he thinks might mean that the current cast may be too old for it uh the only thing that i really have to say to that and obviously mr peg is a listener of discovery debrief but uh you're part of a franchise where age doesn't really matter man You know, we we watched Adventures of the TOS crew from 1966 until 1991, or in the case of its captain, 94, almost 30 years after that show went off the air. Listen, you've got another 20 years, 21 years of being Scotty as far as I'm concerned. Uh, So I don't think that you have to worry about being too old. I don't think any of the cast has to worry about that and as I alluded to in um, our tapestry discussion, you know, star Trek has actually made uh, in the past, the aging of the characters, a major storytelling. beat. We kind of saw that in star Trek beyond where, you know, captain Kirk on his 30th birthday said "Is a year older than my dad ever got to be. And, you know, he's struggling with his own efficacy, right. but obviously the biggest example of that is star Trek Two, as we talked about in the tapestry episode. And, uh, listen man you don't need to worry about that i mean presuming that the people at paramount and, and the uh the executive board aren't stupid they'll be making movies with you guys for decades to come at least if uh if there's any hope in the world so i don't think he needs to worry about that what are you guys saying? you're
1: think? reading way too much into this what he's <laughs> saying is that's not gonna happen <laughs>
0: See that sounds like more of a extrapolation. There's,
1: oh, it's really far in the future. I'll probably be dead by then. <laughs> That's not what he said. That? I That's,
0: don't know. I well, I mean, if there's this time, is not
1: happening.
0: Okay. All right. All right. Well, we will. We will see. Time All will right. tell. All right. All right, so let's uh, let's move along to uh, the primary reason that we're here. We just watched it. We refreshed our memories before we got recording. So let's talk about the San Diego Comic-Con 2018 trailer reveal for Star Trek Discovery Season 2. So the trailer opens with, uh, with Michael Burnham. Uh, giving a monologue about, you know, the perils of discovery and and life out in space. And she lays her eyes on a very mysterious, what seems to be at least partially humanoid being walking towards her. Uh, You get, what do you guys make of this opening shot? Because it's got a very different kind of countenance than the rest of the trailer. It's far more ominous than what we see for the following two minutes. But Rachel, what are your initial thoughts on the way that that opened?
1: I thought it looked very vaginal, <laughs> and uh, to me, this represents the rebirth of the season oh, God. <laughs> as you know, a new entity <laughs> in a new era. Oh
2: really? man, yeah. <laughs> no, I, is... I
1: thought I did think it looked very vaginal, but man. like I then realized it was a person. And uh, I don't know, she's gonna see something oh man this toner- is this
2: is now Rachel's last episode on uh, <laughs> discovery debrief. She is now moving to Madison avenue. she has become <laughs> the, the ad exec for for all things now
0: <laughs> mad <woman. Yes. laughs> all right, well, fair enough. uh, Cicero, how did this strike you just as a tone setter before? we saw everything else.
2: Um, you know, it tonally it was, it was mostly different. I won't say is starkly different from, from the rest of the rest of the trailer. Um, but it mm-hmm. was, you know, it was that weird thing. It was the, it was exactly what it was supposed to, it did what it was exactly what it was supposed to do, which was make me pay attention and go, Oh, what's going on here. Um, and that's exactly what I said. Oh, what's going on here. Um, and, uh, I, who knows what that could be? You know, like, there's, there's so many m- millions of possibilities for what that oh, sure. what that could have been. Um, but, you know, like, the most likely of those is uh, Burnham's dream sequence of, you know, okay. her seeing, like, who knows, her mom or maybe seeing Giorgio or, you know, it could be anything. It could be Tilly. Sure. (laughs) You know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the only thing that struck me about it is that
0: it's one of the more sort of mysterious things that, that we've seen with discovery related materials. And it, it kind of ignites the ideas of, you know, really being out in the frontier. What are they encountering? What is she encountering? Because I mean, she's a, she's a xenobiologist. She's examined alien cultures. as her life's work. and, this is clearly shocking her. Right. So it definitely creates a sense of sort of ominous dread, which I wasn't expecting, especially considering the rest of the trailer doesn't get anywhere near expressing those kinds of, uh, those kinds of ideas. But then we see what we were left with at the end of season one, discovery in the enterprise nose to nose, as you said, Cicero, and we get our very first look at Anson Mount as captain Christopher Pike In a scene where he tells Saru that he is taking command of Discovery under Regulation 19, Section C. Uh, As far as I know, that is not a canonized regulation, so we don't know what it is yet. But um, uh, Saru indicated that it's only under extreme threat. Uh, He didn't specify if it was the ship or the Federation at large. But what do you guys make of of Captain Pike's first impression? You know, he had kind of a a playful uh, handshake when he was moving into Cicero. And obviously we got to see those uniforms for the first time. Cicero, what went through your head when you finally saw Captain Christopher hey. Pike on Star
2: start? Uh, oh, um, uh, black, uh, what was his name? Black, whatever black moon, black terribleness can actually speak. Um, from from that joke fell flat. Oh, black black bolt. Black yes. Black bolt speaks. Black bolt has a voice. Yes. Um, but uh, it, you know, hey, it was cool. It was fine. Um, I didn't think much of it. Of outside of you know, my main thought was, oh, so that's how they're going to explain away uh, the fact that they stopped and not not continue on their way to Vulcan. And the Enterprise mm-hmm. is going to be there the entire time. So um, he's going to take command of of both of these ships. And then my second thought was immediately was like, oh, OK, this gives Saru another opportunity to uh, demonstrate that he's capable for command.
0: Well, he's definitely got a better mentor for command than he had before. Yeah. I think that's pretty safe. To
2: did say. he or did he yeah. that's.
0: Or, or did yeah. he? Well, we, I guess we'll find yeah. out, won't we? In a few yeah. months, Rachel, your first look at Anson Mount as as Captain Pike. What do you think? It's with like, what? With oh, what you know of? He's Captain He's so Pike.
1: friendly and cool.
0: <laughs> it's a very different flavor of Captain.
1: Yeah, he's he's just cool. Yeah, you
0: know. Hmm. You think that's what they need?
1: Sure. Okay. I yeah. I I mean, like I already said that I think he's kind of like crossways between the two pikes we've seen. Mm-hmm. um, And I, I don't know. I, I guess I was expecting him to be more like a clone of Jeffrey Hunter, but um, sure. he seems a little bit more warm. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I just liked him right away.
0: Yeah, I did too. I mean, that's a, that, that you basically hit on the thing that struck me most immediately because Captain Pike in the cage is not exactly a happy-go-lucky guy, uh, as we've talked about in previous episodes of this show. I mean, he—he uh, he was coming off of a trauma that was severe enough that he was considering resigning his commission and leaving the Enterprise behind and just living out of a suitcase across the galaxy for the rest of his life. And it was really the events of the cage that helped to show him where his best path was. But even in the cage, you know, he showed such reserved anger and rage, especially towards the Telosians. and uh, seeing Captain Pike with much more of a smile on his face. I think that I don't think that the cage played a small part in getting him there because he was smiling more by the end of that episode when he realized exactly what the Telosians could do for Vina at the end of that show. And uh, maybe, maybe that's one of the things that's helping to feed a, a little bit more of, a, of an optimism in him. But then, you know, they went to the Bridge of Discovery and they talked about these these red, uh, these red dots that are appearing. It looks like all over the galaxy. It looks like the galaxy, doesn't it? Uh, and uh, he, he, the Federation doesn't know what they are. They, they don't understand them. Pike even asks the crew, is it a greeting, a declaration of malice? Let's find out. And he seems excited by the idea of finding out, you know, which is what you want from a Starfleet captain, especially on a ship like Discovery, which is the most scientifically equipped by this point in the Federation's history. So, uh, this guy's is apparently the hook for the season. Finding out something uh, that is totally alien that they know nothing about, which could be a threat or it might not be a threat. Is this a strong enough hook? Uh, just b- before we get to everything else, which we know is is just going to add to this, does this entice you, Cicero?
2: Yeah, sure. Why not? Like, uh, I mean, you you've got to have an, an a reason for being. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a reason for us to to sit around. And who cares what the MacGuffin is, as long as the stories within within the season are good. Um, you know, like. There's there's so many shows where you're just like, eh, um, and and so it could be it could be literally anything, mm-hmm. and as long as the stories are good, you know, people will come back. So this is better than just anything. So sure, Rachel.
1: Well, I imagine we'll learn more about these red dots, and uh, you know why they are so interesting Mm -hmm.
2: well they're calling to spock
1: i suppose they are
0: well i I mean the the implication seems to be that it could be a new form of life that starfleet is going to be able to establish some kind of contact with which always gets captains excited you know at least any captain worth their salt Lorca probably wouldn't give a crap but
1: like i have to kill it
0: yeah he would just (laughs) go and shoot at it and see what happened and ask questions later But Pike actually seems legitimately excited by the sense of possibility. But again, though, you know, this is something that represents enough of a threat that he is leaving the Federation flagship, or at least I think it's the Federation flagship by this point, and, uh, you know, kind of upsetting the command structure of another ship that is probably more, frankly, more scientifically equipped to answer the questions that need to be answered. So... Makes sense that discovery is going to be the tool that he wields in order to find out more about it. Hey, Chris. Yeah.
1: You know who they should have on their crew? Who? Oh. Um, a couple of people. Uh, a couple of crew members that I know who are very into red dots, mysterious red dots that move around, uh, seem to be controlled by other forces, and you know, disappear sometimes. Our cats.
0: <laughs> She's looking at me. I'm scanning my brain for for Star Trek references. Like what could you possibly be referring to? And of course, it's it's the a, a reference to our cat's infatuation with little red lasers. It's true. it's true. Just throw just throw Theo into engineering and see what happens. Oh boy. It's
1: they gotta go after those red dots,
2: you guys. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh man! They will pounce. <laughs> well, uh, the next the next bit of imagery that I thought was worth taking a look at. There's something happening in, in a uh, corridor for discovery. It's hard to tell exactly what they're looking at up in the ceiling. Something that's operating up there, but there's a whole series of machinery that's moving. But the ship very much looks,
2: I guess, kind of alive. I don't know. What do you think is going on? Uh, uh they're they're showing more of the ship now. I, I mean, that's <laughs> I think that's really what what it's about. It's um allowing the ship to become more of a character within the show. Um, I you know what the ship could do was was a plot point last time, and now that we know that. They probably won't be doing that a lot. Uh, the ship itself needs to become a character. So you need to get to be able you know you need to be able to see a little bit more of its guts.
0: That's a really good point because what immediately comes to mind when you tell me that is in two prior shows, uh, in Deep Space 9, when they introduced the Defiant, it was showcased as being very different from the rest of the fleet because it was strictly a battleship. There weren't science labs on board. It was just basically built as a tank to fight the Borg. And that's what made it different. That's what made it interesting. It's what made Worf want to live there when he got to DS9, which I thought was kind of funny. But then also at the beginning of Voyager, while Voyager is actually still docked at DS9, and Tom Paris is getting a little bit of a tour from a shuttlecraft outside, they talk about how advanced the ship is, how fast the ship is, You know, can reach... I think it said warp 9.973. It has bioneural gel packs in the computer core and uh it was an, it was something that helped to establish that this ship might be able to survive being stranded 70,000 light years away in another quadrant of the galaxy. Uh in discovery, we know that it's for for its time, it's the most advanced science vessel uh in Starfleet, but it also has teeth. You know, it's it's just for for a ship that is on the front lines of the fleet obviously it was uh equipped to do battle during the uh the Klingon war but it is a science vessel first and foremost and it has the tools it has the technology to discover hence its name so right. yeah i think you're right i think that that probably will it'll it'll show us to a greater degree exactly what it can do on the front of its namesake right sure yeah?
1: All right. And they probably got a lot of cash from. Oh all yeah, access, yeah, 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 so. sure. <laughs>
0: right. From all access and from Netflix. Netflix is footing part of the bill. Nice that Netflix money, right?
1: Bottomless pit.
0: That sounded super white. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the next thing, the next little bit of images that I pulled that uh, should interest any Star Trek fan. It looks like uh, Michael Burnham is actually going into the quarters of Spock. And, uh, so this is when we see that captain Pike is actually in a discovery duty uniform command division. Uh, but we also see Burnham going through the computer records for Spock, actually seeing one of his uniforms neatly folded, sitting on a rack there. And, uh, you know, she, and she and Pike share a little bit of, uh, an aside, you and I have someone in common and Burnham even concludes Spock is connected to these symbols and he needs help. So. Spock is on leave, so hashtag Rachel was right, because as we talked about... Did in I the, predict this? You did predict it, because in, <laughs> in the season finale discussion you even said, oh, he's probably not even gonna be there. Alright. You said it rather <laughs> cynically, but you're right. You're right. Do you still feel cynical about it?
1: Uh, It sounds like they like worked it into the plot in a way that it's part of the mystery. Mm-hmm. So, it's fine.
0: It was enough to get him to these symbols or or dots or whatever you want to call them, were apparently enough to get Spock to want to seek them out. Yeah. Yeah. So, and one of the other things that came out that I didn't touch on in the earlier news is that apparently the Spock that we will see in season two is in far more of a position of turmoil than we've seen before, including the original series. So, uh, Mm -hmm. it's going to be a developmental chapter and it'll apparently, uh, answer the question of why Michael's never mentioned in the canon of the 23rd and 4th centuries. So we'll have to see what actually happens there. But Cicero, what did you think of this little allusion to Spock's larger role in this season?
2: Well, I I mean, it's a great way to keep the money down. Um, (laughs) Because, because this way they don't have to go out and, and get Zachary Quinto. Uh, for an entire season uh, and they don't have to pay for him. Um, are you, but, are you throwing mean, money on that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like it it can't it can't not be Zachary Quinto. See, that was the uh, thing. that was
0: I don't know if you saw I showed Rachel. Was it yesterday? I think. Yeah. Anson Mount tweeted out uh, someone had called him. Someone had just kind of randomly tweeted him after watching the trailer saying, well, now my wife won't stop watching this trailer because of Anson Mount's handsomeness. And Mount actually responded, and he said, just wait until we see the guy for Spock. And I was like, oh. Right, is Zachary
2: Quinto? Is it Quinto? Do you think it's? Come on. He's yanking your chain. Is that what he's doing? Yeah, Yeah, come on. I mean, like, you you don't recast this iconic character with someone who wasn't handpicked by the creator of the character, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're, he's only going to be around because the the presumption that I'm making, yeah, is that this is our Star Trek, this is our Enterprise season, and then we're done. Enterprise is going to go left, the Discovery is going to go right. They'll say, "See you later, guys. It was fun." At the end, you know, at the end of season two. Mm-hmm. And season three, God willing, of Discovery will be a whole new adventure. Sure. And we can, you know, we can wax nostalgic about that time that the Discovery hung out with uh, Captain Pike and the Enterprise and we all got to meet Burnham's brother, Mm -hmm. Spock. Um, And if that's the case, if all we've got are two or three episodes with, with Spock. And Zachary Quinto loves playing the character? Sure, he'll sign up for three hours of Spock. He won't sign up for 13 hours of Spock. Mm-hmm. But but two, three hours? Sure, why not?
0: Hey guys, this is Chris breaking in from the future. Obviously this portion of the discussion didn't end up aging very well pretty quickly, but we will address that at the end of this episode. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely inclined to agree with you about this is our shot with the Enterprise. We're right. never going right. to come back to that ship right. or maybe even these characters again. Right. Uh, I mean, there's nothing to preclude the possibility, I guess, of Pike sticking with it because we all we really know about him after the cage is that when he got promoted to fleet captain, he uh, was horribly injured and had to be put in a chair where he could only talk through beeps Kirk might have made reference to assuming command from Pike mirror. Kirk definitely assumed command from Pike because he assassinated Pike. Right. Uh, but I'll have to take a look a little bit deeper at what's actually established in the prime timeline with the post cage pre wheelchair bound Captain Pike. I'm not
2: really, I, I think it would be a little too much to, to have uh, to bring Pike in and then keep Pike in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, you know, like that takes away from establishing discovery as its own thing. Um, it's a fair point. You want to, you know, you, know, you want to make sure that it's in the solar system with all the other things rotating around the sun of Gene Roddenberry. But you don't want, you know, those that's too close. Mm-hmm. too close if you if you leave pike there. And uh, the other point about Zachary Quinto 100% Zachary Quinto as as Spock, how crestfallen how much of a story would it be is if, if we get to season uh, we get to episode 10 and they reveal Spock and it's some other dude. Just yeah. some it's guy. Just, <laughs> it's just some guy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know,
2: like if it's not a big name if it's if it's not Zachary Quinto and it's somebody we know, you're like, then why isn't it Zachary Quinto? If it's just some guy, you're like, why isn't it Zachary Quinto? That's true.
1: I feel like they would reveal it to get us used to it if it wasn't right. Zachary like they
2: did Quinto. with Anson Mount. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That's a that's a very good point. Uh, obviously, they didn't have that kind of problem with number one. Uh, you know
1: what convinced me that Zachary Quinto is going to do a guest spot is the fact that he's doing in search of on the history channel.
2: Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. He's yeah. He's he's, getting himself ready.
1: Yeah. No, he's just, he is
0: becoming the new Leonard Nimoy. He's Leonard
1: Nimoy. (laughs) He's like, you know what? No one is doing Leonard Nimoy's parts except me. (laughs) That's it.
0: I'm sure that Nimoy would be totally fine with that. Oh yeah. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, just kind of brings up the they had Quinto's interview on the For the Love of Spock documentary is one of my favorite parts of that. I mean, as much insight as you glean from everybody else, you really got this sense of like love and reverence for not just Nimoy's contribution, foundational contributions to Star Trek, but the kind of person that Leonard Nimoy was. If you haven't seen that documentary, I think it's still on Netflix. Highly recommend yeah. it. Uh, you should definitely take a look at it. But no, I mean, you guys have actually just entirely convinced me because especially you cicero because you're right if it is just a guy then there's going to be inescapable disappointment right uh so yeah i'm i'm inclined i'm inclined to agree and if it's a name well then why didn't you spring for quinto (laughs) unless he was dead set against doing it you could totally do it with him (laughs) <laughs> <His Javidic balls. laughs> He's back again. Oh man. Very good. Uh, Very good. Well, yes. let's uh let's move along. We just had a couple of quick action shots that I thought were interesting. So one of the screen caps, and obviously you at home can't see it, but right before Discovery warps away from the enterprise, before the uh the, the music kicks in, there's actually a worker bee that's working on one of the enterprises nacelles. a which I thought was kind of interesting like did they maybe previously get too close to one of these uh one of these red dots that it might have actually damaged the ship before discovery goes off and one of the things that I'll be interested to see in the season and this is getting into some pretty deep weeds just when it comes to the technology of Star Trek but I would love to see something illustrate where discovery uh is more advanced than the enterprise Obviously, the Enterprise is like 10 years old, 11 years old by this, 12 years old right. by this point, point. and Discovery is one of the newest ships in the fleet. Uh, so it's more advanced, and we know that it's probably more advanced when it comes to uh, its scientific endeavors, but there's got to be something else that makes Discovery the right ship for this job, and I'll be interested to see uh, where they broach the idea of Discovery maybe being better from a technological perspective than the Enterprise. Uh, but after that, we got some pretty cool just kind of quick fire action shots, one of which is Burnham actually uh, leaving one of the pods or uh, launching in one of the pods. And it goes back to the pilot episode of Discovery, because when she goes out in the in the suit in that very first episode to ultimately find a Klingon waiting for her, she has this same smile on her face because she just... Zooms out into space, and you get the sense that this is this is what she lives for. This is uh, one of the things that she absolutely loves to do as a member of Starfleet. And we got some uh, other quick action shots of Pike in one of these things with something having impaled the uh, the front of it, and Burnham reassuring him that Discovery has him. Uh, as Detmer looks kind of shocked about, oh yeah, we got him. It's kind of funny. Is that? That uh that humor is breaking through a little bit more, but what did you guys get just as far as a sense of the dynamic that we've kind of been alluding to over the course of this conversation? What do you think that means for this crew that have been through the war, that have a new commanding officer, that might be a little more expressive
2: now? Cicero? Uh I, I think they're, you know, they're definitely coming they're finding they're finding their voice mm-hmm. um, they're they're getting their uh they're finding their agency as a as a crew and they, you know they they were working under lorca as a an efficient crew um but now they're allowed to be themselves under you know nebulous nebulous leadership uh the leadership of saru as the as the little brother who who stuck stuck around and and as you know, Burnham as the big sister who left and then came back, um, you know, full of full of vigor. And now you've got Captain Pike as the long lost uncle that comes in. I've just built like, you know, some new family, the Ponderosa for uh for discovery. <laughs> but like I think as as you know, the ship is going to become a character, the actual characters that the, the bridge crew and the crew themselves will actually become more fully realized characters uh, for the very first time. And um, they're they're going to be able to to have the space uh, and the and the freedom to do that, uh, you know, especially now that we have kind of a, we've reestablished the world in, in the first season. Now we can we can get a little bit more insular and allow these guys to to push us out as as characters from you know from the perspective of being characters, yeah,
0: definitely. Rachel, how's this dynamic look to you? You said I mean you've been talking about how it just looks lighter overall. Is this one of the things that punctuated that for you?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that you had like this what looks like a moment of like drama of you know like Pike spinning out of control mm-hmm. with you know a moment of more lightness um i think it also shows that maybe we're going to get some more uh focus on the sort of ancillary characters the detmer mm-hmm. and others
0: arium and uh yeah. communications officer i forget his name off the top of my head but uh there's a, yeah there's a lot of people left on the bridge to explore yeah and yeah. they
1: have like hardly any lines mm mm-hmm.
0: in- very true. Right, <laughs> no, It's time. And I think that they did allude to the idea that some of them were going to be getting a little bit more play, which is good. Uh, and then we also saw uh, the crew, or we we saw Burnham, we saw Pike, and I think that's Saru next to him in an EV suit drawing phasers. Uh, mm-hmm. And I kind of think that that's tied to, uh, we, we, we saw Tig Nataro, who plays a chief engineer of another starship, which I need to start memorizing the name of the ship that she's a part of but it seems like that's where they're at if i were to guess on her ship because they're while they're talking to her they both have their ev suits on still right and uh dignitaro is an interesting choice you know i mean she's her her stand-up is funny like she's got a very muted sort of sense of humor she lets she lets laughter bubble up sort of out of the awkwardness of something that she says and i like that in general but uh, this seems a little bit more, like you could tell that it's her with the sense of humor, but it's more like punchline-y than I think we've typically seen from her. But do you guys think that she's gonna she's going to be a good addition for Star Trek, Rachel?
1: Yes, I think so. I mean, I think she... Uh, they obviously cast her for a reason and i'm guessing that they had a character that needed to deliver some like really deadpan
0: mm-hmm. humorous lines the techno babble from her is probably going to be really solid
1: maybe <laughs> yeah, i remember her saying she had trouble with it yeah so, uh yeah but um and she's sort of you know one of the masters of just straight face deadpan yeah saying something really funny so yeah,
0: very true cicero how familiar
2: are you with her You've you've seen some of her stand-up right Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm very familiar with Tig Notera. Um So I've, I've seen her topless. So, <laughs> um, so um, it, yeah. So I, I, I love these types of castings, um, especially when you get really smart comedians to play these roles where they don't have to act. And, you know, and it's not necessarily a dig against them. Mm-hmm. Um where they get to play these these roles where the character themselves, that just the nature of the character is pretty uh straight and 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 uh deadpan, and then they get to add their humor on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um and and it works it works so well. Um I, I, I mean, just look at last year with with, with Harry Mudd. Yeah. You know? Uh, and I can't think of the, the actor's name Is, is escaping my Rain head Wilson. right now Ray, Yeah Rain Wilson Like He pl- Like he played it perfectly Because it Like it was cast so well mm-hmm. You know because like the, They understood that he Understood how to play this Character and I think that that What we got to see really quickly Was that oh yeah I get it This is going to be tough, but I don't have to do a lot with who I am as a character. I just kind of have to do a lot with what I say. And I know how to I know how to say things. I do that for a living. Right. So, um, yeah, so I'm 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 super on board with that.
0: That actually brings up something that I forgot to mention about uh, Discovery Season 2, because we actually are going to be able to get some Trek before the season actually starts there's going to be a series of uh of shorts that are released ahead of the season premiere what do they call them they called them i think they actually just called them trek shorts and uh one of the characters who will be appearing in those is harcourt fenton mud they actually said that huh. uh, that rain wilson is going to uh is going to return for these brief little looks that I think these are some of the, the things that are going to be focusing on some of the more ancillary characters, and Harry Mudd's going to be a part of that. So we do have more Harcourt Fenton Mudd to look forward to. All right. Which is uh, which is good news, I think. Good news all yes. around. Uh, so moving along in the actual trailer, uh, one of the, the images that I just love, because we didn't get a lot of Stamets. We didn't even get a lot of Tilly, but we did have one pretty cool image of them together excited about something that they worked on together and they even give a high five. Stamets has a smile on his face, which uh, if you had told me at the beginning of season one, that we would see him smile at all. I wouldn't be sure about that. Obviously we got groovy Stamets out of it, but uh, no, it looks like that the, um, the relationship between these two might be kind of a focus. Uh,
2: Right. Uh, And, and they were, they were celebrating math. Chris. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, the power That's of math. Typical of you nerds. <laughs> You're the scientist. Yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> you didn't like that? This is the power of math, people, in the high five.
1: I think everyone in Starfleet should know the power of math already. Well, but. No, I, it was great. I liked it. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just, just, just yanking your chain.
0: All right, all right. But then came. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Like something that we're going to see from these two? Or are you just kind of excited?
2: Yeah, it's was just excited. Yeah. Yeah. Seems good.
0: Yeah, We got uh, my, my favorite part in this trailer, which uh, you see Captain Pike in the Discovery uniform talking to Michael, the Enterprise, outside the window. And Pike says, wherever our mission takes us, we'll try to have a little fun along the way. Ruffle a few feathers. And Michael just says, I look forward to it. And that is something that legitimately got me misty-eyed. And the reason that it got me misty-eyed is because as much as I loved the first season of Discovery, it was missing that sense of mischievous fun that really good Star Trek can come with. Uh, Obviously, the Next Generation didn't really have that, owing to its commanding officer. I mean, it did in some places, but Pike's, uh, his whole countenance during that, that little snippet that we saw in the trailer was really infectious to me. And it seems to be very representative of the aim. Like if I if I thought that they put that line in there for any particular reason, my guess is because that is what's going to encompass the direction of season two. You know, mate. Like you talk about the tone, Rachel, and how that kind of feeds into a larger sense of fun. But if anything drives it home, it's that line from Pike to me, and I just loved seeing it. What do you think, Cicero?
2: Uh yeah, I mean, I I think you're right. I think that it it does necess- you know, it does kind of belie the 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 tone potentially of of the season. And again, I think it it really circles back to that theme that I had um, early on, which was that that this is gonna be the season. And and I think from from a showrunner's perspective, this may be intentional. This is going to be the season that gets the Star Trek uh, faithful, uh, the, yeah, Star Trek faithful, the 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 headed, you know, of of them all on board, yeah, with with Discovery as a show that is legitimate Star. Trek. Let me just
0: piggyback on uh, that as an embedded Star Trek fan myself. Seeing that, I don't know how you couldn't get excited about the possibilities that this season represents. You know, getting back to this very TOS kind of spirit of what what did what did Patrick or what did Captain Picard call it to Spock's face? Cowboy diplomacy, that's what he said. Right. right. <laughs> uh, and you know, cowboy diplomacy. It's it, it seems just what the Doctor ordered right now. I just love right. the, the sense right. of possibility that this provides.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I I mean, I really do think that they're they're uh, going to do in their own way uh, throw a Hail Mary uh, and, you know, a full on out all out blitz. It's almost football season. <laughs> um, to to the, you know, the Star Trek fan um, to get them on board and not think about you know like there's I mean there's still a little bit of conversation about Enterprise not being Star Trek, um, but not really. It's, it's just people, yeah. yeah, yeah. The you know people just kind of say, ah, it's not my favorite show, um, but like we need Discovery to get to a point where people can say it's not my favorite epi-, You know, it's not my favorite uh, version of the franchise, but it's still talked um, about an but, equal but, step. But, but it's reference. still right. It's still talked about in step with with Star Trek, and you just talk about Star Trek on TV. Um, the other part of that is uh, the the one thing that we really haven't talked about on, on, in the trailer overall is that the quality of the effects are still the best that's ever been oh, seen. Oh yeah, screen. yeah. Um, you know, these are movie level effects. Um, they are phenomenal.
0: Easily, and we know that uh, Jonathan Frakes is back directing at least one episode. And he's also going to be directing episodes of the Orville, which got some pretty cool reveal. This isn't an Orville podcast, of course, but look, Orville season two looks good too. Like if you're a fan of spacefaring fiction, I haven't watched the trailer. Oh, you totally should. But uh, it's going to be a good upcoming year for spacefaring fiction, I think. But, uh, and then we got, uh, we got Pike's, Pike's uh, order given words, you know, with Kirk, it was take us out. With Captain Picard, it was make it so. And with Pike, it's just hit it. And I thought that that was awesome. Yes. I thought that was really cool. Yes. Uh, And of course, you know, final image that we were left with, uh, the Saurian crewmate Linus sneezing on an unfortunate science officer of the Enterprise who was caught in the crossfire. Uh, I hope we see more of Linus. I like Linus already. Rachel, you like Linus. That's
1: a lot of makeup to just for a one-off. So oh yeah, I think we're sure. gonna get some more Linus. He seems all right. I don't yeah, know.
0: seems like a good dude. I would you like to see if more. If you're gonna
1: of him. sneeze like that, you could not sneeze on your coworkers though. Well, like they
0: probably get it. he. They probably have some. I don't know cleaner that's maybe
1: maybe it's not gross in Saurian.
0: He didn't seem very concerned. Yeah, you know, didn't seem very it's concerned. It's just a thing. What do you think of the the linus sneeze, Cicero?
2: Uh it was cute. Um and you know, and I kind of groaned at it being cute. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um but like, yeah, it you know, I mean, it was it was fine. It it was exactly what they wanted it to be. Um I don't know if I was down with that as a thing, you know. <laughs> well, it, it um, had a very kind of like TOS quality to it, though.
0: You know, like if TOS yeah. had the ability to to do that, <laughs> then it would have.
2: But uh no, I, I mean, I see where you're coming from. It's a little, right? Could have had, that yeah. Moment. I mean, it was, it was, it was hamfisted. But like, okay, um you know. I, so when I saw that moment, I was like, oh, this is the moment for the laughs at SDCC. Yes. In yeah. in the room. Yes. Right. Because. Sure clearly that's what it was built for mm-hmm. um and and with that i was fine um yeah. but the, and i felt like every moment before that 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 stinger moment at the end was for me and and that 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 last the stinger post credit moment if you will was uh was for you know for laughs and you know for the for the crowd that was there sure
1: they definitely could have had that music that they play at the end of TOS episodes when there's like a a joke on the episode. Oh, yeah. There's like mm-hmm. the like light whistling, mm-hmm. like do-do-do-do, <laughs> like that kind of. They should have.
0: Yeah, that would have been good. Uh, well, Linus, we get to actually see a Saurian. Uh, apparently, they make really good brandy, especially if you ask evil transporter duplicate Kirk. He loves yes. drinking that brandy. <laughs> oh, boy all right guys well that's pretty much the end of uh of the trailer so overall you had to give it a a grade and and relate it to your sense of anticipation for discovery season two rachel what about you
1: um i would give it nine out of ten cool stepdads (laughs) <laughs> your, your abusive mean dad is dead. And now you, have dad
0: dead. you get a PlayStation. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, sport. We're gonna have some fun along the way. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So good trailer. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Cicero. Yeah. I mean, you know, I grade trailers on uh, their ability to make me want to watch the thing that they're trailing. Mm-hmm. Um is that is that the action of a trailer is to trail? Yes. Uh so it's trailing. <laughs> um so um it it very much made me want to do uh the thing that it wanted me to do, which was watch that show um uh, when it when it comes out. So um you know, uh here's a little secret. I was gonna do it anyway, but <laughs> uh it, it definitely what it what it really accomplished was it made me feel nostalgic for um watching you know the process of watching the show, and it made me it whetted my appetite for wanting to watch the show some more, so um you know nine out of ten, like great, you know, I can still wait, but yes, I'm ready, yeah, you said you
0: forgot yeah. how much you missed it, yes, yeah,
2: yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly, totally understandable, Good memory,
0: uh <laughs> I, I, I do one or two things. Okay. That's about it. Rachel gives me a thumbs up. I'll take it.
2: <laughs> All right.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I'm obviously very excited as well. Uh, it's going to be a painful wait. See, this is my problem. Like we're in the middle of summer. You know, there's still summer ends on September 22nd here. So we're like halfway through summer effectively, even though we're into August now, but there's so much stuff that I look forward to on the other side of of that that i'm worried that i'm losing my summer just because i'm biding my time for the things that i'm looking forward to like september 7th the ps4 spider-man game comes out Uh, october 27th red dead redemption 2 comes out uh december 21st aquaman comes out discovery season 2 is coming in january it's just like everything that i'm looking forward to isn't really in the summer anymore so I feel like my summer is kind of disintegrating before my eyes. But after a trailer like that, man, I am so ready for season two of the show to start. I mean, I've been painfully aware of how much I've missed Discovery, as I think I made clear while we were recording episodes for season one. But uh, no, man, I, I don't ever want to go back to having no Star Trek down the pike. No pun intended.
2: Well, no pun intended. So, uh, I I, I caught what you did there, <laughs> Chris. I will say, live in the moment, uh, because in a couple of weeks, the Happy Time Murders will be out in the theaters. Oh,
0: um,
2: which is uh, which is the movie by one of the Henson sons. That's right. With 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 uh, R rated Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> so um yes I'm I'm there for that and uh you know there are there are lots of other things that are going on it has not been too hot in Chicago so you can actually enjoy one of the best times to actually live and be a Chicagoan yes. so so enjoy all of those things yes sir and and also um You can try and write a Star Trek movie screenplay that you could give to Quentin Tarantino so he could not film that one also.
0: (laughs) There you go. That sounds like a wonderful use of my time. Don't give it
1: to Tarantino. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
0: boy. Well. Yeah, we're, we're obviously my esteemed panelists are very confident in Quentin Tarantino's ability to turn around a Star Trek Quentin movie. Quentin
1: Tarantino's not the type of guy to just say stuff, Chris. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that concludes our trailer breakdown, but we also have a few more thoughts to share before we leave you. The biggest bits of news to transpire after we recorded this episode was that Sir Patrick Stewart is returning to the Star Trek franchise in an all-new CBS All Access series, where he will reprise his role of Jean-Luc Picard from Star Trek The Next Generation 20 years after the events of Star Trek Nemesis, which places it right around the beginning of the 25th century. Recently, the Discovery debrief panel actually got together in person in the Chicago area, and before we disembarked, we all shared some thoughts on what Patrick Stewart's return means for Star Trek. Zaki said, I could not be more excited to know that Jean-Luc Picard is returning. We need him right now. He is the model of what a leader can be and should be. He is compassionate and wise and stern when necessary, uh, but kind and willing to learn, willing to be wrong. Uh, that kind of leadership is in sor- short supply, uh, Captain.
2: Welcome back aboard. Here are Cicero's thoughts. So I I am super excited for uh, Patrick Seward to re- be returning to the Star Trek universe. Uh, we're going to get to see what's beyond beyond the the Enterprise and uh, just the furthering adventures of John Luke Picard. I'm here for it, man. I am so happy for this. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, and, and it gives, uh, it also will justify even more that CBS All Access uh, subscription, which is, I'm all for that. Rachel added. Uh, I'm
1: super pumped. That's It's going to be awesome, even if it's not awesome. Just seeing John Lu Picard will be f- great. So, uh, oh, can you bleep that out, Chris? Yes, I'm sorry. I do that. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. Woo!
0: Finally, my thoughts. Anyone who takes to heart the zeitgeist of the times we live in can likely use a bit of hope. Whether you're looking at news headlines, the careful and degrading balance between privacy and security through technology, uncertainty in the global economy, or even just the state of discourse in everything from politics to fandom hope seems to be in short supply. The return of one fictional character, beloved as he may be, is hardly a solution to the problems we face, but I feel like I know better than anyone the very real, symbolic power that the icons of popular culture can wield over our ability to perceive what's happening in the world. Yes, these characters are fictitious, but in almost every respect that counts, what they fight for is very real there are fewer characters that are as emblematic of this idea as Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Patrick Stewart spoke of the fact that there is never any shortage of people who stop him on the street or who speak to him at conventions and relay the truest senses of hope and optimism that he helped to ignite through his portrayal of the captain of the Enterprise D&E, and it's that exact sense of hope, that ideal, to strive for a better tomorrow that few other characters would be able to inspire. Much like Patrick Stewart talking to his younger self in X Men Days of Future Past. It's the greatest gift we have to bear their
1: pain without breaking. And it's born from the most human power hope.
2: Charles, we need you to hope again.
0: We could all use a little more of that through the lens of an optimistic future, and perhaps it'll be taken even further by being reintroduced to that future's absolutely best arbiter. On top of that, the Debrief crew also obviously will have to address the recent casting of actor Ethan Peck as Spock, in Season 2 of Star Trek Discovery. So, you can expect that when we next convene. There, that's a little too uh, heavy a topic to simply push to the end of this episode. As of right now, though, that's going to do it for Episode 26 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show on iTunes or Facebook. It only takes a minute, and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it is posted. If you have any questions, feel free to find us on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to contact us through Twitter, our Facebook like page, or by saying our Facebook like page, or by sending an email to hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes. As always, though, until we meet again, please, go boldly, my friends.